I have tried every way that I knew how to try to get your pastor to take the time. I'm sensitive when I come to a place, not because I was particularly invited per se to be here, but because I wanted to be here, spend time with your pastor and his family and to see you. Uh, certainly, uh, the name of this church is Providence, the name of our home church is Bethel, but there have been times here at Providence that it's been a Bethel spot for me, a place where the Lord would smile upon us and bless us and I long to go back to those places, not because they need me, but because I need what they have. But I have uh, failed to be successful in getting your pastor. I have learned once again how hard-headed he can be. Uh, but we'll try to discharge our duty in a way that uh, the Lord would bless, and we'll be sensitive of that. And Trust that the Lord will give us something that would uh, praise His name and be a benefit to you. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to turn to 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. One of the things that I look forward to when I have to spend time in the pastor's home is the Bible discussion that we have uh, not only with Brother Mark, but also with Sister Emily. And Brother John Mark, and, and he's able to be there, but of course uh, the pastor has to work, and young folks are, are about their life, so that gives uh, me some time with, with my other daughter, as I refer to her, and I enjoy so much the discussion. Uh, the downside to that is it stirs my mind in all different kinds of ways, so if I did have anything on my mind, uh, coming this way, it, it is far gone by now. Uh, but we trust this is of the Lord, and that the Lord will bless it. Uh, as often as we've tried to talk of the Scripture, I uh, saw something yesterday that I had not seen in it before. I'd like to share that with you. Uh, trust that there's uh, a reason, and that someone out there could and will benefit if the Lord blesses us. Every time that we have in the service of God is a special time. Uh, this congregation, just like it is right now, will not meet just like it is right now again. It's unique. Even if it's the same people, you'll have a different experience or a different state of mind or encountered various things. I know this week, Ones that we have heard of the tragedy in the James family and uh, funeral yesterday. And I didn't know the James family very well. I had met Brother Ethan uh, once or twice. Uh, but I mourn for him. I pray for him. Well, you come with that on your mind when you come to church. We, we pray that the Lord will, will be gracious to it. Uh, let, me, let me, I'll probably just read. Let, let me just read and get that in front of us and then, and then we'll go from there. I'll begin reading in the 14th verse. So 2 Corinthians 5, 5th chapter, the 14th verse. And I love how Paul reasons with Scripture. 
if, if we'll just listen to it, we can understand the reasoning and, and the logic, if I could say it that way, uh, that the Apostle Paul is going through. And we know that all Scripture, including this that we'll read to you, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable to us. So we trust that the Lord will lead us to whatever profitable things that we might find from it. So 5 and 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, holds us together, unites us, and packs us together, as it were. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. I said I was going to read, so let me read. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. I'll go ahead and get that last verse. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now that's a lot of reading, a lot contained in there. Let me point out a verse, and I hope to work towards the thought in this verse. And that is the 15th verse. And that He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. A question. To what degree are we living for ourselves? This says that we should not henceforth live unto ourselves or themselves, but unto him. That's what we want to press out in front of you and try to work our way back to that statement. There's a unity that Paul brings out immediately in the reading that I have done to you. 
And that unity is that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Dead is binary. You either are or you are not. There are terms that said, in fact, scriptures that would say one is half dead or given as half dead. But the reality is, in fact, that has been a debate for I don't know how many years. Two huge debates in the healthcare field is when does life begin and when does life end? And isn't it ironic that at both ends of that equation, you still see to this day a lot of debate and a lot of uh, discussion about it. And like most things in life, everybody has an opinion. But what's the truth of it? Well, to me, the truth is when life begins, which I believe is in the womb, and the truth is life ends when the soul departs the body. That's my view on it, and I think I have scripture to support that. But the point is that we all are sinners. There's no better person than another one here. If you look at one another, I want you to see that, uh, well, Songs of Solomon describe it as a flock of sheep on the hillside, and they're all even shorn. There's no big eyes or little you. There's no those that are not as much sinner as another person or one that is a greater sinner than another person. That's not what's being taught. What's being taught is that we all were dead in trespasses and in sin. All of us, all of God's people, my friends, equally, were dead in trespasses and in sin. And that he died for all. Who's the all? Well, it's everyone that's under consideration. That's obvious. But who is that? It's all that he loved. It's all that he chose before the world. It's all that world that he so loved that he sent his only begotten son. And equally, we were all dead. And equally, Christ died for all. I'm going to skip the next verse because that's the one we want to work back towards. So let's go to the 16th verse. This is what I saw yesterday that I've not seen before as we were discussing it. Notice what Paul says. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth we know him no more. And I think it's all right if we was add to the end of that after the flesh. That's what he's talking about. Well, my question is, when did Saul of Tarsus know Christ after the flesh? We have no mention of Saul in the life of Christ. We have no mention of where they came in contact one to another. It's interesting to point out that history would tell us that they were born about the same time. First time we mention uh, the Bible mentions uh, Saul of Tarsus when he was consenting unto the death of Stephen, held the coats of those that would stone Stephen, that it's about pretty close to the time when Christ had previously died. In fact, in my Bible, it calls it the same year, 33 A.D. And 
Give it a little time, bit of time, because people can't agree absolutely on the term. But give it, I would say it's less than a year between the time that Christ died and the time that we hear of this man called Saul. Now, just that in itself is interesting. That when Christ would decide, or God would decide, that he needed or wanted or desired to have another man who wasn't walking with him when he was walking on the earth, didn't sit with him in the, uh, the Last Supper and so forth. Christ didn't wash his feet. He never heard Christ preach in person. Yet he knew him after the flesh, is what we hear. But when God uh, required another man, of which would be his lot, to write most of the New Testament, he wouldn't do what you and I would do. I would say Saul of Tarsus would be the last person that you would think that would God would choose to do the work that Saul did, later changing his name to Paul. Right. He was public enemy number one. He was literally the chief of sinners. He wrecked havoc in the church of God. He sought out those that would follow the Lord to destroy them, to kill them, to cast them in prison. Right. He made all kinds of problems and so forth and so on. And yet in a moment, he was struck down on the road to Damascus. And my friends, his life was changed from that point forward. That by the time he got to Damascus, Ananias got to him and said, Brother Saul, the same Lord that hath appeared unto thee in the way has sent me unto you. And he received his sight again arose and began to preach the very thing that he had come to Damascus to destroy. Right. Now, who'd have thought that one up? Amen. And my friends, it marveled the people. You can read where it says, it's not this the one that came to destroy us and now he's preaching the gospel. The only time I can think of when he would have known Christ in the flesh, my friends, would have been when he was Saul of Tarsus. Now, how is that possible? Well, let me ask you this. Uh, don't answer it out loud, but let me ask you the question. Do devils believe God? Do devils believe in the Son of God? And the answer is yes. Not only do they believe, they believe and tremble, my friends. But what kind of belief is that? It's certainly not a spiritual belief. Right. But it still is a belief. See, this is where all of us began to some degree. Is with a natural belief or understanding to some degree of who a man was that was called Jesus. We can believe on him like we're taught about 
George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or uh, pick anybody else that you might want, Albert Einstein, whoever. Pick somebody else you might know in history. And we can uh, hear of who he is and have a historical knowledge of him. But my friends, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. And he says, henceforth, we don't know him that way anymore. See, our, our knowledge of him have, has grown from that place to where we want to get to in this reading. Elder Danny, Danny Wisner two weeks ago preached on a Zoom podcast that Elder James Conley and the church there at Union in Ruth, Mississippi supports. And he preached on the sons of Eli over in the Old Testament. And Eli was both a judge and a priest. And he had two sons. And they say his two sons were like the dove, Eliah. And it says they knew about God, but they didn't know God. See, there's a difference. The difference in knowing about God is knowing God from a fleshly standpoint, from a historical standpoint, as a person in history. But knowing God is altogether different. So if he says we'll know him no more that way from a natural standpoint, from a fleshly standpoint, then look where he immediately goes into. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, there's several questions about that text. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about a new creation just by the words itself. It has to be, if he's a new creature, that's a new creation. Amen. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about what we refer to as regeneration. Right. About the Holy Spirit taking its abode within an individual. Just like it did Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Just like it did with Nicodemus when the Lord told Nicodemus that uh, the wind bloweth where it listeth. Now here's the sound thereof. You cannot tell from where it cometh and where it goeth. So is everyone that is born from above. When that happens, my friends, we now are a dual character. Amen. We still have the fleshly part about it. We still have, even if we had a fleshly knowledge about God or about Christ or whatever the history would tell us, we still have that. But now in addition to that, we have something that is totally unique with a child of God. And every child of God, my friends, has this creation in the same identical way with no degree of variableness. I like how Peter says it. He says it this way. You have been made partaker of the divine nature of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he's in every single child after he's been born again, regenerated, quickened, whatever term you want to use. The same identical way. Amen. And what we find again, normally, 
Want to know that this is what Saul of Tarsus found, as he tells us in some chapter of Romans. What he found wasn't comforting to himself. What happened to him? He was struck down on the road, and he was blinded on the road, and he had to be led by his hand to the place that he was going to with authority. What happened to that authority? It was gone, my friend. And what he saw, he tells us in the seventh chapter of Romans that before this time, before the commandment came to live, before that came, the way he knew what was right and what was wrong is what the law had to say. What the law of Moses had to say. Is that the way you know right from wrong? I, I can't even tell you all of them. I, I maybe get most of them, but I, I can't even tell you what, what all the Ten Commandments are. Be honest with you, I don't think about them too much. But he did. And here's something else that his mind did, and our minds can do the same thing. He rationalized. First of all, there's only ten. Not like there are a thousand. There's just ten commandments. And I, I can do a pretty good job. That's what Saul thought. I can do a pretty good job with them. In fact, I can do more than a pretty good job. I can convince myself because I'm a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. I can convince myself that I meet all of them. In fact, I more than meet them. I surpass them. In fact, I more than surpass them. I'm perfect. And the mind can do that. It can convince you and I of things like this. When Saul was struck, struck down, my friends, and God entered and Christ entered into that man's life, that divine nature entered there, something else happened, and it happened with you and I too. He wrote his law, God's law, in your heart. And you know what? The mind can't rationalize that. For the first time in his life, he saw himself the sinner that he was. Now here's something paradoxical. Here's something that it's just like this. When he thought he was perfect, he was dead in trespasses and in sin and didn't know it. Now that he feels to be a wretched sinner, undone, guess what? He's got eternal life abiding in him. That is strange, my friends. But now, what happened? When we're born again, and, and, and I trust everyone here has had that. Maybe some of the young folks haven't yet. I don't know. 
I guarantee you that. If you're a member of an old Baptist church, my friend, somebody has seen fruit in your life to say that you're a born-again child of God and you're heaven-born and a part of you, that is your soul and spirit, my friend, is ready to enter into heaven this very second. You have no sin in it. In fact, we refer to this as the inward man. But we still have an outward man. And guess what? They don't get along. They are opposed to each other at every hand. Paul says, when I would do good, evil is always not. That that I would do, I do not. And that that I would not, I find myself doing is it that way with you? It is with me. There's a warfare. They're opposed to each other. They can't make peace with one another. So you find yourself in a warfare, and Paul says that all manner of concupiscence, all manner of sentiment, forget the Ten Commandments, all manner of concupiscence. Sin just exploded in his life. It was already there. He just hadn't seen it. Amen. You know why he hadn't seen it? Because he hadn't had light to see. Right. You know why he hadn't had light to see? Because he was dead <laughs> in trespasses and in sin. Amen. But when he was made alive, he had sight inwardly. And all he could see was a sinfulness. In fact, he says, sin, what, what, why is that? He says, why, why did that happen, 7th chapter of Romans? Why did that happen? Because sin must appear exceedingly sinful. How does that happen? By the working of good that is within you. You see, we each have a sin detector in us. Amen. It's that soul. Amen. And there's something called a conscience. And that conscience does one of two things. It either approves or it condemns. Now, now we have one that not only has a fleshly knowledge, but now there's a whole world that's opened up to him that he didn't even know existed, which is a spiritual understanding and a spiritual knowledge. What happens next? Where do we go from there? Is that the end? To some people it is. To some people that's as far as they ever get. That, that doesn't mean they're not going to heaven. That just means they're not going to have a heaven on earth. <laughs> they're going to have turmoil. Because they're not going to have peace. And they're not going to know why they don't have peace. And they're going to run to this, and they're going to run to that, and they're going to run to this. And they'll keep peace for just a little bit. Then that sin arises, and they feel condemned, and they're right back to where they were. Woe is me. Why am I feeling so sinful? Mind tries to start working on that, my friends. If they have to belong to a group of people that says you must come and get before the mourner's bench and do whatever you need to do there, they might do that. And I'll guarantee you, my friends, most of them will not only do it once, they'll do it twice 
or three or four because they never get that relief. Because you see, it's not of him that willeth, nor is it of him that runneth, but it is of God Amen. that showeth mercy. Amen. So many people are concerned about the will. Well, it's all right to have concern about the will, but my friends, you put at the top of that the will of God. Amen. Folks don't think about that will too much. They think about their will. Let's, for the time remaining, and I'm sorry I'm taking this much time, but for the time remaining, let's jump into the rest of it because this is what comes next. What has happened to him? God loved them before the foundation of the world. Christ has died for them. And that work on the cross has now been vitally, livingly applied to their hearts and to their person. And now they're a child of God, vitally. Now they feel spiritual things. There's something in them that's crying out, Abba Father. They, they, they perceive things that they hadn't perceived before. Maybe it's a verse of a song that they don't expect to touch them the way it does. Or maybe it's a tragedy in their life and they go looking for some comfort. And God blesses them with a degree of comfort and they think, where did that come from? Only to realize it comes from within, out. Maybe, just maybe, they hear the truth. Not hearing what they must do for God. No. They hear what God has done for them. And it hits a note within them. Over James Isaacs, I think, and I always give him credit for it because I stole this from him. (laughs) But he used the analogy of a tuning fork. And he says, and I believe it's right, Sister Anna Lee could verify that, I think, with probably her piano and training and so forth. But if you take a C, or whatever, take a C tuning fork and just set it up here on its end, and you take another C tuning fork over here and you hit it and it begins to vibrate and begins to make that sound, guess what this one over here is going to do? It cannot be still it will answer that vibration over here because it's tuned to the same frequency. My friends, that's what happens when God puts His Spirit within you. He puts a frequency of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the divine nature of God. He places it within you. So when you hear the truth preach, my friends, it touches that that is within you and it begins to answer. It doesn't make an audible tone, but it begins to vibrate because it's alive and it desires to hear truth. 
It desires to hear gospel. And that's what's getting ready to come as we read these scriptures. So let's read them. 18 verse. And all things are of God who hath, past tense, hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Now let's break that down. God has done that work. God is the one that made reconciliation. By his son. Now why did God need reconciliation? Because mankind, beginning with our father Adam, violated God's law. And God rightfully stood offended because Adam rebelled against the law that God gave him. He knew he was breaking the law when he did. He wasn't tricked into it like Eve was. Satan didn't, didn't, uh, uh, wasn't subtle to him. He knew what he was doing. And he did it anyway. Now I hear people try to explain that. And here goes the mind again, rationalizing that. Because this isn't in the Bible. That Eve had eaten. Adam had not. Eve gave to her. And because Adam loved Eve so much, he ate her. Well... That's right out of the Bible because it's not in the Bible anywhere. I don't know why Adam did. But he did. And he wasn't fooled. He wasn't tricked. He openly rebelled against God. And God stood offended. So what happened? God sent his son to pay the sin debt that was owed in order that we might be reconciled to God. Amen. Got that? That's reconciliation. We could go different places, don't have time. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and in addition to that, hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That sounds like preaching, doesn't it? The ministry of reconciliation. Well, what's that? Well, look at the next verse. To wit, here it is. Here's the ministry of reconciliation. That God was in Christ reconciling the world. Now, that is not mankind. That's not the world of humanity. It's the world that God so loved before the foundation of the world. That's the world that's under consideration. I'm not going to chase that, but I liked it. <laughs> to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing. Now, imputing is kind of an accounting term. It means to lay to one's account. To lay to one's charge. Every time I use my credit card, charges get imputed to me, you understand. They get laid to my account. And if I don't pay that, then we'll eventually going to have some problems because I owe that 
by using that car. But my friend, we had sin upon us, not only because of nature, that is, of Adam, but also because of our own sins that we have had. And he says, let me read it to you, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, not laying their trespasses on them, not charging them. Amen. But he did impute it. You know who he imputed it to? Christ. Who had no sin. But Sonny, you need to have Bible to that. Well, read the last verse of this chapter that I read to you. He, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us. That's imputing. Right. See, he had no sin of his own. But God laid upon him all of the sins of all the world that he so loved, i.e. the elect family of God. And Christ bore those sins on the cross and satisfied divine justice on the cross. And you know what it required? A perfect man. Now, that's a problem. Had to be a man because man broke. We got scripture for that. But it had to be a man that has no sin. Because it had to be a perfect offering. And it had to be a willing offering. And it had to be a man, my friends, that was made like unto his brethren except for sin. And it was. And it was Christ. And as a result of the work of Christ, reconciliation or harmony and peace has been obtained. Amen. Now, that's true whether you believe it or not. That's true whether I believe it. That's just true. God did that. God didn't ask us if we wanted to. We didn't have a role in that. We were absolutely passive in that. Amen. Is that hard to understand? Well, let me ask you. What did you do to be born into the family that you're born into? Never thing. <laughs> I didn't choose to be born into a Huckabee family. I didn't choose my name. I didn't choose whether I wanted to be male or female. And boy, we could get off on that, couldn't we? I was passive in all of it. Right. You know why I love my mother and my father? Because they first loved me. You know why you love God? Because he first loved you. Now, with all of that said, and that's just as true as it can be, my friends. Read the rest of it. 19. Here's the, the ministry of reconciliation. That God was in Christ, 
reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, unto them, and hath committed unto us the work or word. Word of reconciling. We couldn't do the work of reconciling. Only Christ could do that. And he's done it. And now he has given unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, up until this time, the word reconciliation or being reconciled and all of that is in a passive voice. That means God is active and we're not. We're passive. But that's getting ready to change in this 20th verse. Because he changes to an active voice with the word reconciliation. In other words, this is a work that we do. So let's listen to it. Now then, 20th verse, now then, Paul says, we're ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is, right? You know what an embassy is, right? It's a little piece of America, my friends, planted in foreign countries. That's what it is. And if you're in trouble, let's say, just pick one, Germany. If you're in trouble in Germany, if you can make it to the American embassy, my friends, you're on American soil. And you're protected by the laws of America even though you're in a foreign land. Now, the turnabout, that's right too. We got foreign embassies in America. And I'll leave that alone. But we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. Now just listen to that. When your pastor or any gospel minister, my friends, is being blessed of the Spirit of God to preach unto you, it as though God is beseeching you through them. It's not that they become holy. It's not that they become any different. It's just the gift that God has given them. And if they're preaching the truth, my friends, they represent God's Word to you. And it ought to be respected that way. It ought to be listened to that way. It ought to be recognized. This is God's instruction to us. You have babies in arms, a baby I know in arms here. Uh, I've heard the story before, hadn't heard it with this family, but I've heard the story before, especially the dad looking and seeing now that little baby laying there and having his name on the baby and wondering uh, just what he, and, and, and just, I wish they came with a manual. <laughs> they do. It's called the Word of God, my friend. And it's not only a manual for you as a mother or a father with the baby. It's a manual to you. Amen. You don't have to follow it. <laughs> have you ever had instructions? And by the time you got through with the instructions and you got the thing built, you were convinced that they added more parts in there than they needed to because you had leftover parts. <laughs> only to find out that it falls apart the next day because you didn't have that particular part. Uh, I don't have time to tell us. Yeah, I'm going to take that time. Elder Jeb Owen lives right down the road from 
Brother Jeb, if, if, you, if he can find a YouTube, he'll fix anything. And, and he'll have a conference. He, has a, he had an ATV, side by side, ATV, and it, it, what happened is his dad bought it for the ranch, for the barn, and, and it wore it out, his dad wore it out. So his dad bought a new one and gave Jeb the old one. Well, the old one needed fixed. So Jeb, sure enough, looked at the YouTube and found out how to do it. So here's how, Jeb, if you ever hear this, you've got to admit it's true. Here, here's how Jeb goes about it. First of all, he doesn't take a picture of anything. You know, that's what you're supposed to do. Take a picture of what it looks like and that, as you're taking apart so you can remember. No, not Jeb. And his, and his bench that he put all the parts of was the bed of an old pickup that doesn't run. And he just laid it out. In, in fact, he didn't lay it out. He just put it in there. And then it was like a month before he got back there and it had rained and everything else and there's all those parts were. And you know, he put that thing together with that YouTube video and it worked. It was a transmission and he had all those gears and everything and it worked. So I saw Jeff on the side of the road in front of his place and he was on that thing, on, on that side by side and and I drove by him and I said, I stopped and I said, Jeb, I want to commend you. I, said, I, I, didn't, I didn't think you, you could do that. <laughs> he looked down and he said, Brother Sonny, he said, don't give me too much credit. He says, I'm sitting here right now because the back tire came off of it and rode down there about 100 feet. <laughs> See, manuals need to be followed. Not just the part you want to follow, but if you want to use a manual, you need to use a manual. Amen. And that's what the Word of God is. Amen. So, what is this ambassador going to tell us? Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. You ready? This is what you're saying. This is so God is speaking it to you. And it's in the stead of Christ. It's in the position of Christ. Be ye reconciled to God. Only that word is active. It's not passive. It's something you and I need to do. What's he saying? I love how one of the father and my and fathers in the ministry that I had over Charles Sanders in Arkansas, here's how he said it, and I think he had it spot on. Be ye reconciled to the reconciliation. Amen. See, God has done that. God has performed the reconciliation. All you gotta do is be reconciled to it. Amen. You see what I'm saying? If it appears too good to be true, amen. But guess what? It is true. And guess what? It's already yours whether you ever become reconciled to it or not. Amen. And it's going to work for you. It has worked for you. It is working for you. It will land you in the heaven's pure world when time is no more. But here in this life, act.
believe, if I can use the word that's so often misused, accept that what God has done for you that you couldn't do for yourself, understand it is yours. Amen. Amen. Just believe it. Believe it doesn't make it so. It's already so. It's already true. But believing it gives you the benefit of aspects of that in this life. What am I saying? People that believe the only way they're going to get to heaven is by making a decision for the Lord and doing all whatever else that they have to do, my friend. How many times do they have to convince themselves over and over and over when the truth is whatever would be required to get you and I to heaven, God has already done it and it's complete. And you can do something in it, my friends. And that word is called rest Amen. in it. Amen. Have confidence, not in yourself, but in the Lord. Does it take a righteousness to enter into heaven? Yes. He is our righteousness. Does it take a belief to get into heaven? Now listen to me closely. Yes, but it's not our belief. It's the belief that the Father had in the Son, that had in the Holy Ghost, in the covenant of grace, before time was, my friend. Amen. Any and everything that stood between you and heaven, God has provided. Amen. Just rest in it. Amen. Delight in it. Feed in it. Live in it. That henceforth, what's that verse I wanted to go back to? That henceforth we not live unto ourselves, but unto Him. Amen. What shall I render to my God for all the things that He has done? Whatever it is, my friends, it's but a reasonable service. Amen. May God bless you. Amen.